0: It's good to see you today in the house of the Lord, and we pray the Lord will bless you and honor you for the time that you have given to Him today. You know, there has been a quite a bit in the news lately about uh, the Internet and the freedom of expression. Uh, hardly a day goes by when there's not an article or some kind of statement made by somebody that talks about what is appropriate to be discussed and to share, and also how to appropriately share it. And this is all under the guise of freedom of expression, right? This is how people uh, want to know what to do in this situation. However, the freedom of expression is just one kind of freedom. Like, for example, have you ever thought about emotional freedom? You know, where you're free and finally uh, healed of all of the emotional uh, ups and downs that you might have had in your life? That's freedom. Freedom. That is tremendous freedom. How about financial freedom? How many of you would vote for that? (laughs) Where you can pretty much do what you want to do because you have the resources to do it. All right? And so a lot of us would say, that's a good freedom. That's a good freedom, too. And so, but for Christians, for the believer in Christ, one of the most important freedom is the freedom from the sin. It's the freedom from the penalty of sin and freedom from the power of sin. Uh, For example... In Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 9, these glorious words come to us from the Lord. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. (laughs) Boy, we're saved from the penalty of sin, from the wrath of God for our sins. That's a tremendous freedom. That is a tremendous freedom. But it doesn't stop there because God's word also says that we're free from the power of sin. Romans chapter 6, 12 to 14 says this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. And so, freedom is important, yes. But what kind of freedom are we talking about? We're talking here about freedom from the penalty of sin, but much more the power of sin itself. So, When sinful behaviors or sinful uh, attitudes and actions woo the believer, the believer no longer has to obey it or serve it. (laughs) We have a choice now, folks. We don't have to just sit there and just, okay, you said jump, how high do I jump? But rather we can actually say no to sin and we can pursue a different path. What are some of those sinful behaviors that woo believers today? Well... There's probably more than we have time to list. But even in God's church, even where God's people gather in community, there are sins that exist. And we need to understand that we can say no to them. And we can take a different path. How can we overcome them? How can we have victory over them? Well, that's where the book of James comes in. Because he highlights them and he gives us good reasons why we ought not to engage in them, or entertain them. And so if you turn with me to uh, James chapter 4, we'll be in there. Now, I realize that many of us in this room, we, we travel, we, we sometimes have other assignments, we sometimes get sick, and for one reason or another, we miss a Sunday or so. So please indulge me for just a second as I give us a quick review of where we've been. The book of James has been showing us the marks of a spiritually mature believer. Uh, I like to call it the devoted disciple, all right? It alliterates very well. But I like to call it that. And so what happens is that he's covered a whole list of different actions and behaviors that are common to every believer. As I read the book of James, many, many times I've read it. And uh, every time I've read it, I've always discovered a new sin in my life <laughs> that I have to deal with, or, or God highlights it. Because these sins beset all of us. The devoted disciple of Christ, he learns how to persevere in the trials and tribulations of life. How many of us have just been willing to throw in the towel? Can't take it, don't want to do it anymore, and so on and so forth. But you persevere. You triumph over temptation. How many of us have given in the temptation instead of overcome the temptation? Many of us, uh, uh, for example, have been conferred with obeying God's word. Obeying God's word. And so when we see that happen, this becomes important. Another topic that was covered was treats people without partiality. I'm not sure what's happening to our... Oh, there we go. Okay. Treats people without partiality or favoritism. He lives out their faith in words and in deeds. You see, how many of us have been... We talk the good talk. We talk a good game, but we don't play it very well. You see, and James comes right at us and he says, no, if you really are a child of God, then the things that happen in your life ought to match that faith. And then controls the tongue, controls the tongue. And that's something probably all of us have had problems with one time or another. And then puts godly wisdom over worldly wisdom. We've talked about how they're so different. They're so different. And yet sometimes we really struggle with this. And then understands and avoids sinful conflict. And we talked about that two weeks ago. But today we want to talk about two more sins that we ought to be aware of and that we ought to avoid. What are those two sins? How important are they? Well, the two sins are condemning others and being conceited. Condemning others and being conceited. Now, some of you have already checked out. <laughs> some of you have said, what am I going to have for lunch? You know, Others of you are saying to yourself, oh, what am I going to do the rest of my day? Because you subconsciously perhaps say in your mind, I don't do these two things. So I'm not going to worry about this. Oh, I don't know. Let's get into it and let's see where we're at on this. And so turn with me again to James chapter 4 verses 11 through 17. And the sin of condemning others is given to us in verses 11 through 12. Now, this is the tendency to harshly criticize, slander, disparage, or insult another person. And so, in uh, uh, James chapter 4, the first part of verse 11, it says, Do not speak against one another. Do not speak against one another. Now, at first glance, you see about you see that and you say, well, it could mean this, it could mean that. What does that mean? Well, the word speak against is more than just a simple insult or put down. It is not just a simple, casual, oh, you know, this person is a little weak in this area or something. It's not that kind of a thing. It is to deliberately slander or run down another person. It is a harsh, condemning, critical, derogatory tirade that is malicious and mean-spirited. Whoa, this is pretty heavy stuff. So God is not just thinking about us having a casual uh, opinion about somebody. This is a strong uh, decision or judgment about that person. So this is what he's talking about. And oftentimes, when it's used in the Bible... It is used in the absence of the person being talked about. All right? So, if you can imagine this. I know it doesn't happen here. But suppose you get into a cup of coffee at Starbucks and you start talking with a friend or something about somebody else in the church. And slowly, you know, the conversation gets a little deeper. It gets a little darker. And before you know it, you're... You're killing this person. You know? You're literally just wiping this person out. You know, ah, this is wrong. That's wrong. Ah, ah, ah. And you go on and on. That's the kind of thing he's talking about. And he says where this, this harsh, judgmental, uh, condemning attitude prevails. Now, why is God so hard on this? Is he, what are the reasons against this are given to us in the second half of the first verse? of uh, James chapter 4, verse 11. Says, Do not speak against one another, brother. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and, the judge and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. So notice here, one of the first reasons he gives is because we go against the law. We go against the way and the will of God. Such talk. Such slander, such uh, uh, a critical spirited uh, speaking is against God's law. For example, in the Old Testament, Psalms 101 5, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. God doesn't take this lightly, folks. This is not one of those pat on the hands kind of rebuke from the Lord. Lord says, I will destroy that person. It is highly unfavorable behavior before God. Let's go to the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So if you're going to say to yourself, maybe I should pray about this before I engage in this. Put it out of your mind. This is not God's way. It is not to condemn people. Uh, such action also is wrong because it sets us in a position above the law. If you looked at the third part of verse uh, 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 11 uh, of James chapter 4, if you looked in there in the second half of that verse, it says there that we are to um Avoid that kind of behavior because there's only one judge and one lawgiver, and that is God, He says in verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Ultimately, it is God who will do any kind of judgment on people, not us, not us. Now, at this point in time, what probably came to my mind and probably is coming to your mind, well, Okay, if I'm not to condemn, then what am I supposed to do? Well, the scripture says that when the person is caught in sin, your role, your role, and your role is what? It's to restore that person. This, does, this uh, passage, in no way does it prevent us from confronting pe- sin in people's lives. No, there's no way. But we must confront sin in other people's lives, God's way. According to God's word, all right? So instead of just sitting there and yapping to each other and talking to each other and killing this person who's not there in the conversation, he says, seek to restore that person. Uh, Turn with me to several passages. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. And it says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault. It says. Now, I want to call your attention to that word, if. Okay, if. All right. The word if is very important, although it's only two letters. Okay. If. Has this person really sinned? Okay. Or. Or. Is it a matter of uh, uh, a a trespass of our own preferences? Ha-ha. You see. Because a lot of things that sometimes we go after people for are really against our own preferences, okay? I was uh, speaking with a missionary uh, on the field once, and, and we were in South America. And, and uh, I, I really wanted to know, you know, what goes on in the heart and mind of a, of a missionary. So I, I turned to my brother and I said, you know, you, you're, you're, you, when you first started out as a missionary, what was one of the greatest challenges that you had? And this missionary very honestly said, "said, you know what it was? It was getting over the way these people worship God, you know? And and this person was a, a Southern Baptist pastor, and he came from very good background and very strong church, and you know, was and very typical Southern Baptist. You know, they they sang the first and last stanzas of songs and hymns and all that kind of stuff, and, and you know, they did an order of service that was very regimented and the same and all this and so on and so on. And He says, I couldn't believe it. You know, people just kind of do things this way and that way, and it drove me nuts. You know, and I had to really, you know, I really wanted to come down on them. And then I realized that these people were doing it. They were honoring the Lord, but they were doing it their way. And he says, I really had to pull back. And God taught me a lesson that there are certain things that are appropriate, but there are ways to do it appropriately in this thing. So my question is, when we see if a brother has sins, ask yourself the person, Is this really a sin or is it just going against my preferences? You know, you see? And so if that is the case, let's suppose this person is actually uh, into a sin. They're actually into something that's very clear. It's very blatant. It's something that's been going on for a while. You have plenty of evidence such. uh, So we move on to the next step. What's the next step? Matthew chapter 7 verse 2. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Oh. <laughs> now, this <laughs> ought to make us step back for a moment and take a deep breath before we're going after somebody, all right? Before we go to this person and confront them about their sin, we have to remember these two things. In the way you judge, you will be judged. And then, according to the standard that you use, you also will be judged. That's a heavy responsibility. If someone were coming after me, how would I like to be treated? How would I like it to come across? Okay? If I'm going to be measured by standard, would I want to be measured by God's standard or would I rather be measured by a man's standard? You see, these things are important. And so, when you do these things, keep those two things. If they have sinned. And number two, be careful how you judge because you will be judged. And also, The same standard will be used for you. Now, the third thing is Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you you too will not be tempted. I want to call your attention to two words there. The word restore there is an important word. Literally, it means to correct. However, in the Bible, several ways it is applied. For example, it is used of a physician who is setting a bone. Something has been broken, so he skillfully and carefully resets the broken bone. The other way it's used is also of a fisherman. And the fisherman is there mending his net. You can't be a very successful fisherman if your net has holes on it, right? You're not going to catch many fish. So this is very important work. And so the fishermen are very careful to meticulously mend their nets. When you and I restore people, we do it with great skill and we do it with great patience and we do it with great motivation, you see? And so it is to he- help heal that person, to put them back into wholeness of health. And then he says, do it in a spirit of gentleness. And this word also means meekness and gentleness. Now, I understand that there are some people who have different personalities and and uh, you know they, they work out their faith through, according to their personalities and stuff. And, and I came from a background where you know, we, in our house, so we, we, we had, a, we spoke very loudly. <laughs> and so it, there was no doubt that someone was being scolded or someone was being reprimanded. And then I came across this verse and I said, I can't be screaming at people when I'm in, a, in the pastor. That's not going to get me very far, I don't think, you know. And so you very seldom will you ever find me yelling and scolding at people. But I do try to be gentle. I do try to be gentle all right, with people. And I have found over the years that God is right. It does work much better. They may not understand it right at the very beginning, but after they've had some time to think about it and God sets it into their hearts, then things begin to, to fall in place. And so we need to do it that way. And then Matthew chapter 18, the rest of verse 15. Look at this very carefully. If our brother sins, go and show him his fault. What is that word at the end? What is that word at the end? What's that word at the end? Private. Whoa. So that means none of this, you know, come on, let's have a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Oh, by the way, did you know that brother this and sister that and all this kind of stuff? He says, you take it to that person in private. Okay? So none of this harsh, condemning kind of spirit. It's so important for each of us that we practice helping people with sin and learn how to do it right. See and appreciate one another as someone precious to God, for whom God gave his only son to die for. Do the right thing, but also do it the right way. And that's God's way. All right. And so I hope that you'll keep these, these passages in mind. As you begin to think about how can I help people who are around me. The devoted disciple of Christ has a grip on his tendency to condemn other people. Then the second one is found in verses 13 through 17. And this area is the sin of being conceited. Now, just for fun, I I clicked on the thesaurus. Program. The thesaurus is a, 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 a word, you know, it gives us synonyms for words. And so I clicked on it just to see what kind of words pop up. And uh, there's, there's all kinds, but ones that especially seem to um, the, the Bible commentators agree with here is the word arrogant, okay? It's this tendency to leave God out of our lives and out of our plans. And so, this is what he means by being conceited. It means being conceited to the point, being arrogant enough that God doesn't count. God's not in the picture. He is not in the equation. He's not even anywhere to be seen. And so, look at how this is unveiled for us in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Now, There's nothing wrong with doing those kind of things. But look at the nature of the offense. Let's look a little more closely at that. They were presumptuous. They were arrogant. They were rash. Well, pastor, how can you say that from that verse? Today or tomorrow we will go. They were so bold as to say what we will do. Today and tomorrow we're going to go. We're going to do this. And then it says to such and such city. They were so bold to say, where we will go. Then they said, we will spend a year. They said, how long we're going to be there. And they said, we will make a profit. And they would say, how it would all turn out. Now, at first you might say, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, we'll hang on for just a moment. But the idea here is they left God out of the equation. Where's God in this? Go through God. You don't see God. In there At all. It's I, 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 I. You see? And so that was the point that James was trying to drive across. Uh, the reasons for against being conceited is that it, leaving God out of the picture is found in verses 14 through 16. And it says in verse 14, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. You don't know what life is going to be in the future. Only God knows that. And so then, um, only God knows that. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1, it says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. But it is only God who is in control of today and tomorrow and yesterday. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 to 10. Remember the former things long past? For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no other like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things which have not been done. Say, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasures. Now, doesn't it seem rather short-sighted to leave such an important individual out of the plans of your life? But that's exactly what a conceited person does. A conceited person is so arrogant that they believe that all the events of their life are up to them. And that they are in control. Well, at this point, um, um, he also gives us in verse 14, he says that life is transitory and short. We are just but a vapor. I I was trying to play around with this, and this is what I came up with. It says, as things go on the stage of life, we are pretty minor and temporary players. Would you agree? That's probably it. On the stage of life, you and I, we are not the big stars here. We're not even major support players, probably, in the whole life thing. But yet, we behave like we are. Is there an example from the Bible that also teaches this in a a maybe slightly different way? Yes. Luke chapter 12, verse 17 to 20. Luke chapter 12, verse 17 to 20. And this is Jesus. He was talking and he gave this story. And his story is about a very successful farmer, a very successful business person. And this, this is what this successful person said. Starting with verse 17, Luke chapter 12. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will restore my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Hmm. Sounds like a Singapore dream come true. Wouldn't you think? (laughs) You know, this guy doesn't have five C's. He's got 25 C's. All right. And so this is what it sounds like. But notice here, I sat there and I counted them. I counted them. There are five times he uses the word I. And then five times he uses the word my. And when you left, he left God completely out of the picture. You see? And it is this kind of arrogance that makes us liable to be guilty of being conceited. Where we leave God out of the picture. <laughs> What's God's response to him? <laughs> so this, this very successful person says all of these things. Look at what God says to him in verse 20. He says to him right at, the, right at the very end. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? God has the last word. You see? And so, you can do all of these things, folks. But if God's not in it, mark my words, God will have the final word. And that's what he does. You better keep God, We better keep God in the picture. It is right to keep God at the forefront of our desires and dreams and plans. And then, let's look at James chapter 4, verse 15. And he says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as you both as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. And so in a very polite way, James is saying, "In your planning, you need to include God, if God wills, if God wills. I had a friend in university. And uh, he was from the Middle East, and he was a devout Muslim. And uh, so I I always got convicted in a way by the way he spoke because he was very polite, very proper, and he would always say things like, uh, if God wills, I will this. If the Lord is willing, I will do this or that. And at first, you know, the young person, I kind of got a little irritated by it. But then I began to realize this guy had it right. Now, maybe it was an idiom. Maybe it's a figure of speech that they use or something like that. But it just nailed me right on my head. That's the way we ought to be. If God wills, the Lord wills it so. If God is with us, this will happen. You see? sometimes we get so much into our planning and we get so much into our, you know, research and all of this kind of stuff. And what happens? God gets squeezed right out of the picture. And pretty soon, pretty soon, God's people aren't even thinking about God. Be ever conscious of God's ways and reasonings for doing something. Ever conscious of God's ultimate sovereignty and will and, and rule in our lives that's all he, James is trying to say well is God against good business planning <laughs> I gave this message one time to a, a group of uh, you know young aspiring up-and-coming uh, young young people and I, I love being with them because they say they say things very honestly you know and well is God against planning that's what I do for my company you know and I said no he isn't look at Luke chapter 14 verse 28 to 30. Luke chapter 14, verse 28 to 30. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, where he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Okay? God is not against good business planning. You got to keep it in mind. But the trump card is God, and he always is. God has ways of doing things that will just blow your mind. Let me give you an example. In our in my second church, we, we bought land, and and uh, we were there, and, and God was, was blessing the church, and, and so we felt the need to... Our buildings that we bought were quite old, and so we decided that it was time for us to build a... A family center, we called it, and so this was a, a, a about a thirteen thousand square foot building, and uh, so the cost came in estimated cost. This is U.S. dollars, okay? seeing it would be a lot higher, but it was uh, it came in about uh, six hundred thousand dollars, some five to six hundred thousand dollars, and so we went ahead and we launched into this building program, and so the the, the building came up, and then about oh three quarters through. The building committee chairman comes to me and says, "Pastor, I got good news and bad news for you." I said, "Okay, give me the good news." And he says, "We're three quarters through the building plan." And I said, "Okay, great. Okay, what's the bad news? We don't have enough money to finish it." He says uh-huh. sudden costs have come up, and the building now we have to add another two hundred thousand dollars in front of it and, and uh, onto it. And so he looked at me, and it, it was almost me looking back at him saying, duh, what do you expect me to do? <laughs> <You> know. <laughs> so I gave him the pastorly answer. I said, well, I guess we'll have to pray harder. And he says, okay, pastor, you got a couple of days because we've got to tell the contractor what to do. And so I, I went to learn. The leadership gathered together, and we said, okay, we all, we all, have, to, we all have to pray. And so we, we prayed fervently. And then, um, I don't know, I was at peace about it, you know, through the whole time. And, and people were a bit, you know, a bit marveled and, and, because they know how I am. And I said, you're, you're pretty at peace with this. And I said, yeah. Why? Because God's in this. I believe God's in this. Okay. Unbeknownst to me was that a person comes to me and says, been praying about this. And we decided that we're going to give you the $250,000 to finish the project. (laughs) Really? I mean, you only read about this in spiritual magazines and things like that, right? You You don't experience it, but sure enough, that's what happened. And so I guess if you look at me and you don't see me particularly all crazy because of numbers, it's because I've learned to... For building programs that money is the easy part the hard part is the heart of the people the money is the easy part the hard part is the heart of the people for God for his work and for the task that he puts in front of us and this is what happens here is that if we become conceited, become arrogant, if we take to ourselves, we've done this, we've done that, and this and that, and that, and we squeeze God out of the picture, and God is no longer in the picture, whether we're talking about the choice of a career for our life, or we're talking about a direction for our church, tra- no matter what it is, no matter what it is, if we squeeze God out of the picture, we're guilty of being conceited and arrogant according to James. Now, you go further and you say to yourself, well, perhaps, you know, you're, you're one of these very careful people and, and you've planned your life to the T, okay? And, and for yourself, perhaps, for, for yourself, perhaps, your plans have gone so far as you've decided in your life that, you know, my purpose in life is to shop until I drop. Or Singapore version is I'll eat until I'm beat. You know, one of those two, you know? And you kind of say to yourself, where's God? God's not in this picture. He doesn't have to be. You know, I've planned everything to the nth degree. God says, you better keep me in the picture. There's two areas that oftentimes people leave God out of the picture. One is the area of salvation or eternity. And it says they reject his offer of of salvation from sin. And so they, they, they pay the price at the end. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 said, Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. And so people said, I'm going to keep God out of the picture. I'm just going to deny He's not not there. He's, he's He's not a player in my plans. And then John chapter 3, verse 17 through 18. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. God's not a player in my life. I don't have to. I don't have to take him into consideration. But God says, you better because you're already under judgment if you haven't. And then John chapter 3 verse 36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not believe the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I don't need to involve God in my life. I don't care. You know, I don't have to worry about eternity. I'm worried about the here and now. Eternal life starts when you accept Christ. It starts here on earth. Okay? And so, we have to uh, bring God into the picture of our life in terms of our salvation. But we also have to bring him into our life in the area of sanctification or holy living. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what will, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I don't have room for God in my life. Better make room. <laughs> I don't have a place for God in my plans of my life. You better make, <laughs> you better put them in there. You better make a place. Okay? Because it's really, really important. In the end, James summarizes everything he says in verse 17. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So, notice has been served. To you, to you, to you, to me this morning. Okay? Can we be accused of being guilty, of condemning other people? Do we have this harsh, judgmental attitude? Can we be accused of being so arrogant as to leave God out of the picture and plans of our lives? I don't know. You'll have to answer it yourself. You see? And so God has given us these things. Why is this important? Looking into a mirror of God's word, what difference will all this make? The world needs real examples of the Christian faith. How we behave is more important than ever before. By not condemning one another, not being conceited, it will go a long way to showing the world the reality of Christ. We need to get a grip on these sins, such as having conflict among one another and condemning one another and being conceited. We've got to get a grip on these things, okay? And so God brings it to our attention this morning. God is watching over us. He wants us to be free from our past and present sinful attitudes and actions. He wants us to get a grip on them. He wants us to grow spiritually so that we can be blessed spiritually. So I hope you'll take all of this to heart. I hope you'll take all of this to heart. Let's pray together. Father, when we look into the mirror of your word, oh Lord, what do we see? Sometimes the picture that we see can be pleasing. Father, we are walking in your way. And Father, you are using us and you are blessing us in many ways. But sometimes, Lord, we look into the mirror of your word and we actually begin to see the real flaws and we begin to see the real faults that begin to show up. We ought not to, Lord, run in terror or surprise, but rather we should run to you. Father, confess our sins. Confess, Lord, if we have been engaged in harshly judging other brothers and sisters in Christ. And set that attitude aside, never to be revisited or redone. And Father, if we have been if we are guilty of being conceited, where we have put all of our plans to the forefront, Oh Lord, may we again realize who you are, and may we, Father, put you back into our play our lives where you belong, right in the center of it all. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for it speaking to the very heart of the matter. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.